welcome one and all uh, to uh, to this uh, great Pastors of Pain season of Lens series that we're doing on. Is this a series? Uh, yeah, we're doing it on uh, the tastiness of lobster and their exoskeletons. And uh, hopefully, here's um, all I'm saying. That was my Ash Wednesday homily. And you've been preaching about and, it the last three weeks. And it's boring. It's the kind of image <laughs> that people will remember for years to come. Here's another thing I like to do during when I when I preach is to mm-hmm. like take something like that's like an everyday thing. Yeah. Obviously, we live in Oklahoma, but we're very landlocked, and lobsters are not part of our everyday life. Okay. But my guess is that the people who go who heard my Ash Wednesday homily. And, re- and listened and internalized it. The very next time, they saw a lobster. They see a lobster on television, or at a restaurant, or they pass a red lobster. <laughs> now you're doing product placement. <laughs> they're going to think about that homily. Or they're uh, next time they want to go to. Boston. I like doing that. I gave a homily one time. I forget what it was about, but it was about oh, it was about being when I got rejected for an autograph by Shaquille O'Neal. He rejected When I was you? like 12 years old. <laughs> uh, I forget what that homily was about. It was about rejection or something. Anyway. Shaquille O'Neal rejected you from an autograph? Yeah. I was at the Final Four. I was a, fr- I was a freshman in high school. Freshman in high school. And Shaq was, he was in college. At LSU. Shaq was at LSU. And he was at the game. And I was at the game with my dad. And we were walking out of the stadium. And I was like, oh my gosh, dad. That's Shaquille O'Neal. And so I went up to him and I said, excuse me, Mr. O'Neill, can I have your autograph? And he said, not right now, kid. And then I was like, okay, well. How about later? So we'll meet up later? You want to get dinner or something? Okay. Anyway. But I like doing that. I like taking kind of common everyday things and like, you know, bringing them into the, bringing them to the gospel. And then it, so then, you know, you make, you make your point about the gospel and then, the, the the secondary sort of effect is that yeah. when, the next time people you know sort of have that event or they see that person or anyway it's just a little just a little insight of how that's how I tend to tend to preach. Um, Father Kerry, yes, you had this was a couple weeks ago now, but you had a Lenten parish mission. It was a pre it was a pre game. You were pre gaming Lent. Yes. Um, it was before Lent, mm-hmm. but I went to the first night. It was on a Monday. Monday is my day off. Um, it was a oh. glorious day. I woke up. I, I tell us about I cleaned. It. I cleaned around the house. I did laundry. I prayed. You I got celebrated rid of some of your crap. I celebrated mass. Preciouses. Um, <laughs> I went to lunch. I went to lunch with someone. I went to the dentist that day. What a day! Oh, I knew there was something. Anyway, then I came you. home. Then I came home and I went and I stopped by your place because I wanted to learn. I was just in like a in a learning mode. And you were hosting Catholic Answers apologist Carlo Broussard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A local. Who also were, who lives yeah. who now lives in Tulsa. He and his family go to Holy Family Cathedral. And he moved here. He moved to Tulsa, Diocese of Tulsa from San Diego. Which in my mind, that was just a coup. That was a coup. I couldn't believe it. I actually went to a meeting before, as they were trying to hire him. I got invited to go and have lunch with them and just like give my input on like this plan of bringing him. And I was like, are we really doing this? Are we really? Like, is this a thing? Are we like going out and like recruiting 
Yes. Hot, hot shot people and bringing them to Tulsa. I think we are. And I like that about us. I yeah. like that about well, us. Uh, also, Jimmy Aiken bailed on. Jimmy Aiken. Yeah, he did. Jimmy Aiken's we Mysterious don't, World. We don't, we don't care about him. Probably the smartest guy I've ever not he's met. He's super smart. Yeah. Well, so, he's on so, Arkansas now. So, he, Carlo, he so, Carlo Broussard packed up his family, moved from San Diego to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, he still works for Catholic Answers, still sells yes, books, still but does. Still, but but also, also works for the diocese. So you called him up and said, hey, come talk to my college students. Yeah, yeah. So every year we do this and we bring in a different uh, the person to, to lead the mission. So, you know, we brought one, uh, like a, a, C, a couple CFRs they've been around, the Fathers of Mercy. Uh, Father Michael Pratt did, uh, did one on an occasion. We just, we just bring in really excellent Lenten mission Preachers, yes, to do this, but because, I've, ne- I don't think, I honestly don't think I've ever gone to one of really? yours. Sometimes, well, there was one year we did them at the same time. That was not smart of us, but then it's just busy, right? I'm busy over here, you're busy over there, and so the. But it, this one happened to fall on a Monday. I really like Carlo. I've heard him speak. I like his stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think he's very smart. I, I like, I like his analogies. I think he's very articulate. So I mean, he's an excellent presenter. And he's very knowledgeable, right? Put those two together, boom, and he, magic. And he also wants to be holy too. And he wants yeah. to be holy, yeah, yeah. And I don't, and I don't know him. I don't know his family. But anyway, I just, I really like him. So when you said, "Hey, we're having our our parish mission," I was like, "I just want to go. I just want to be a student. I just want to learn." And I went, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad. And so I thought, that, I thought that would be a good topic for yeah, today. Well, uh, Could you tell us what if if you weren't there? Because you had you had a good crowd, mm-hmm. at least the Monday night that I went, and you said that there were good crowds the other night. What, like, what did he say? What was the theme? What teach teach everyone listening? What Carlo had to say? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface it with this: We do ours the week before Lent typically begins because we lose a week of of uh, in Lent, which is uh, spring break. Oh, so, that's true. Yeah, so we we lose a week in Lent, you know, just like we lose a week in Advent, uh, a week and a half in Advent every year. And, and so we're 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 prepping the kids because what I find out, you, you know, in the Eastern Catholic Church, they have this thing called Meat Fair and Cheese Fair, <laughs> uh, which is the weeks that precede uh, the the great season of Lent. And you're during those season during those times, you're getting rid of cheese, you're getting rid of meat, you're getting rid of dairy, you're getting rid of all the proteins and stuff like that, and you're. And you're you're shedding your your love your love for attachments to things and foods and you're doing and you're doing your penance, but you're also what I like about it is you're easing your way into Lent. You're easing. And we were watching basketball one night, and I sat down, and it was the Wednesday before. No, it was the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, and I said, "This is my last bourbon till the till Easter." And then I started my Lenten fast that night. After after that bourbon, <laughs> oh, it was I like, remember that. It was no, like, I remember it was that. Like yes, a, like an eight o'clock bourbon. I was just like, yeah, I really love this bourbon. But it was it was preparation because I know that if I start, I'm going to start late, and most people as well. So we get Lent going. We get people thinking about it. So his, his the the summary of his talks were this: the tale of the Savior King. The tale, so a story. Like, what's the story? What's the history? What's the, uh, I don't want to use the word legend because legend has like some falseness to it, but it was, you know, what is the story of your favorite, 
fearless hero. It's like an epic. Yeah. The tale. Like the tale of uh in, in um in Lord of the Rings. The 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 kind of the legend of Bilbo Baggins or the legend of Bagger Vance. Yes, yes. You know, it's these stories are like, oh, like, like they have Larry, this aura. Like Larry Bird when they call him Larry Legend. Yeah. It's kind of how those Larry Exactly. Jesus just, and Larry Legend. I just wanted to work in Larry Bird reference. Oh, great. So the tale of the Savior King. So not only is he Savior, where he's come to te- re- redeem us from sin and death, he's also our King. He's, as you always like to say, it's not just Christ the King, it's Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. Jesus Christ, King of the Solemnity of Jesus Christ, King of the universe. Yeah, so he's Savior and King. So the, uh, so the very first night, and this is what I, I told people after the first night and in, at the end of the second, I, I told students, I said, I want you to just grasp a hold of one or two things, like, kind of like Lexio Divina, that jump out to you. Because there is so much stuff here. He would do a section, and then he would do these little things at the end of each section, which was like a little um, an application to Christ. And then he would go through salvation history and show you how things were paralleled, how um, the parallel of the darkness from Genesis and going out into the desert, Jesus, and then the parallel of Jesus being sent out into the desert. You know, it says um, by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit drove him out into the desert, sent him out, you know, like drove him out to the desert like an Uber driver. Like, uh, yeah, is this, is this where you want to get off? No traffic. Yeah, no traffic out in the desert. So uh, like Jesus going out in the desert and how that is with the Old Testament, that um, Isaiah's prophecy that the lion shall sit with the lamb and the yeah, cobra's so den. Like Mark, so the reading on the first Sunday of Lent, Mark chapter one, Jesus, yeah, sent out into the desert and the, among and it, it, among wild beasts. Uh huh. And so what he said Monday night, and I've never thought of this. He said, back in the, in ancient times, to write things down, like now we can just type and type and type, and our computers have a yeah. bajillion gigabytes of memory. <laughs> but to write stuff down, like, was expensive, and so you didn't waste. Paper. There's vellum. <laughs> you didn't. Animal skins. You didn't waste words. And so, if the gospel writer is including something, it's for a good reason. Uh, here's the example. And he said, he, "Yeah, he went out Ezekiel, among wild beasts." Ezekiel thirty four twenty five says this, and then I'll let you talk. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land, so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. There it is. So then in Mark chapter 1, Jesus goes out into the desert, and there's this little, what seems like a throwaway line. Yeah. And he, that he was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. And it's like, I mean, I, I, before I heard him speak Monday night, I would say, I don't, I don't care about the wild, wild beasts. What, that's not, that is not relevant to me at all. Yeah. And then he started, and then he just goes off. <laughs> And starts making, and he goes through all of these Old Testament places where, like, the wild beasts are mentioned. Um, Isaiah 11, I yeah, think, yeah, was Isaiah. one. Anyway, just, he starts going through all these, and I'm like, no, that's not a throwaway line. That, to the Jewish ear, to the reader, 
that would that would they would they would be making that connection that okay this guy is connected to the scriptures that we know of to the Hebrew scriptures to the Old Testament I just loved that and then he said really and you you know you said to the students like just get a couple things to take away and one of the things I took away is he was talking about the angels ministering to Jesus yeah. in the desert okay. and he said I just want you know he said I just maybe this is something oh, you can do for great. Lent and he just said to to spend time like talking to to have a to build a relationship with your guardian angel, and I will honestly say that's something I've not. It's not that's not like a big part of my spiritual life, my guardian angel, but I've made that part of my Lent. So I, every year in Lent, I got prayer, I got fasting, I got almsgiving, right? Yep. I, I step up in all three, and that has been because of what he said that Monday night. That's been one of my, one of my things that I'm that I'm doing during Lent. So anyway, that was my that was my takeaway. Okay, what else did he say? The tale of the savior. The tale king. of the savior king. Uh, well, there was a couple. We're of, still on night one. Yeah, this is still on one not night one. Is how these things are being fulfilled. Uh, like Jesus, uh, it says it says a um, a sprout shall come from the stump of Jesse, and how Jesus, how David is a warrior and a battler. He you know he fights lions with a slingshot, and most people think like a slingshot, like a little wrist rocket, but no, you're thinking of like a leather strap that slings a rock somewhere between sixty and eighty miles an hour, and these people develop this weapon so they could kill animals that would attack them. And I mean, they had swords and spears, but how David is a warrior in the Old Testament. And it says that a savior from the line of David, it says a a sprout shall come from the stump of Jesse. And then you fast forward and where is Jesus born? He's born in Nazareth, which means stump town. And I already knew that, but I never, I mean, I hadn't really connected them because, because then the battle the battle is the taming of evil forces. The t- you know David's battle is with Goliath and uniting the twelve tribes of Israel, and he says, "Now you fast forward, and Jesus's battle is with demonic creatures to bring about the family of God together once again to do battle to save them." So he, he's he's not only is David king, but Jesus not but Jesus is king too. And, and so there's all this theological significance to these. Um, I mean, it, he just, I, I mean, I don't, I just got to see how much time we got because. No, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep. Uh... Well, then, so then he went to the importance of fasting, prayer, and almsgiving from the catechism. Yes. And, and if you haven't. That was good too. Yeah. And if you haven't done a little research on fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, the time is not over. You can you can do that now. Yeah, yeah. You can you can do that now. It's like, well, I mean, or you're in your second week of Lent and you realize I really stink at fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Uh, so begin again, begin again. Yeah. And so he he looked at these of of praying, fasting, and almsgiving are all all especially prayer and fasting are remedies to um, the lustful passions, to the desires of the flesh. He made the, he made the connection between like sex and food. Yeah. Like if you're struggling, if you're struggling with like sins of the flesh, then, then 
like look at look at like how you eat. <laughs> yeah. And and right, and if you look, if you really like yeah, th- those two can often go together. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great insight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he went in, he went into these uh, he went into the temptations of Jesus in the in the desert. Uh, where it's the precipice on the temple. If you are the son of God, those those claims that he makes, if you are the son of God, if you are, turn those stones into bread, which um, I'd read in a book one time, like those bre- those stones actually looked like little mini loaves of bread. If you are the son of God, bow down for me. If you, and he said, he goes, like Jesus on the precipice of the temple, like there he is on the dwelling place of God, and he's being tempted. And what does he respond with? And I, and you know, if you're like, oh my gosh, like I, I need to, um, I need to defend myself against evil and spiritual attack. You know, he made the he made the reference to then use what Jesus did, the scriptures, as a defense. Because when the devil tempted him, at the end it says he went away for a while, like he didn't go away forever. He went away for a while, oh. but Jesus responded with, um, you, "You shall, um, you shall not put your Lord to God to the test. Um, you shall, um, uh, uh, what is it? A man does not live on bread alone, but on any word that comes from the mouth of God." Yes. And so he uses the scriptures to protect himself, and so he's teaching us how to go to battle with the devil, because we, I mean, is there's this line from this it was a Pentecostal preacher one time. He's like, "Don't get in the ring with the devil." It's like, yeah, because the devil was created. He was the highest of the highest angels. He was the day star from on high. And he is an intelligent evil force and menacing and prowling like a roaring lion looking to devour people. And St. Peter says, resist him all solid with your faith. So that was, that, that was the first night. He that, said, "Yeah, Jesus went to the desert to do to do battle." Yes, I liked that. I liked yeah. that image. Yeah, to so, do battle on our behalf. That's I think that's I think an, an insight. You know, it wasn't like a personal thing for Jesus. It was he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Like, yeah, he went he went to battle on our behalf, and therefore, like, if you're gonna if you're battling Satan, you you best not do that alone. Like Jesus has done that for us. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So, so second, second night two. So second night. So I, I didn't go. So I'm. I am like. I am a sponge. A biblical theological reflection on the crucifixion of Jesus. Really? So he took the crucifixion of the Lord, and he then, in a way, kind of paralleled each of the events in the Old Testament. So of course, the obvious ones of. Abraham and Isaac on the mountain and how Isaac, and I never thought about Isaac being like a 16 to 25 year old guy. I never thought of Isaac just laying when his dad's like, Hey, I'm going to offer you a sacrifice son of, you know, what, what that action. I mean, I had thought about several of the things he said, like, you know, Abraham was promised a son who would bring about all of these descendants and now he's being asked to sacrifice him. But I never thought some of the like the nuanced, finer points of, you know, Isaac's age. Of yeah, um, I didn't I, know how old he was. 
yeah, I and so he he paralleled each of these like the the ram caught in the thickets with um, a crown of thorns around his head. I was like, yeah, sure, I've I've thought about that because Jesus has a crown of thorns around his head. I got that. But then they went. I, I started. This is one of the the beautiful things about this mission. I stopped listening because I just started meditating on what he was saying, and then I had to like catch up occasionally. <laughs> and just like because I, I you know I, I thought about you know just these old testament parallels with the new testament and the one that the one that got me um and as still you know as I told the students um i want you to go and just take one thing from tonight and spend time on it uh and it was the parallel between the passover lamb and jesus the passover lamb of how and I, and I'd never heard that most of the stuff I heard, 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 because yeah, I've been a priest 14 years. I was in seminary. I love to study and that they would take the, the Passover lamb and in order to roast it, and I, and I love these details, in order to roast it, they would run a skewer through its mouth and out its butt. And then they would take- Boom, roasted. And then they would- <laughs> And then they would take another wooden pike and run it from shoulder to shoulder. Across. So that the lamb. Is this true? Yeah. And he laid it out for us. Like, because it's like, how do you roast a lamb? And then that lamb would be carried to your house. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's like, how do you roast it? And That's I was a like, cross. That makes a cross. Exactly. Is I that was, what he was saying? Yeah. It's like, well, how do you roast a lamb? It runs vertically through the through the body, the body along the spinal cord, and horizontally uh, from, along the shoulders. Yeah. Because it, I mean, when you think of it, you're like, yeah, what? that makes that makes perfect sense of how you roast a lamb because you have to roast it by rotating it, right? And most of us don't ever see an animal being rotated unless you go to like Sam's and watch them rotate chickens yeah, the on chicken. there. But they do that like the chickens, they run like right through them. Very similar. They don't, f they don't break the wings open. But with the lamb, you got to cook the inside and the outside and you have to roast it. You have to cook it over a spit and that's the way you do it. It's so interesting over the years you've heard, I've heard people say like, you know, oh, well, you know, Jesus died on the cross. Well, like what if he you know, died in some other way, would we be wearing, you know, would we be, you know, would you be wearing, if Jesus died in the electric chair, like, would you, you know, we'd be wearing little electric chairs around our, our necks. But what you're saying is that the cross was not an accident. The cross. That Jesus was crucified on a cross was not, it was, was prefigured was in the Old Testament. Was providence. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have never heard that. Okay. That I'm going to give you another one that was a mic drop last night. That he just, you know, the, the, when you when you're preaching like sugar fire and people are just like eating it up, you, you just have I to would keep, have gave him a hallelujah. You point. have to keep going. You we can't don't even like, say that during Lent. You can't stop. You can't just stop. You can't stop. You just have to keep going. And he went on for about. I think about 15 minutes on um, why crucifixion was not the only means to salvation for us. And Jesus didn't have to be crucified because he's God. He could have snapped his fingers and fixed the whole problem because the issue of sin is like, he gave the example of a, a, of a, ju a judge. So 
say, say I'm a judge uh, or a judge in the city of Stillwater and you like, and you rear end the judge's car oh. when he's coming out of a gas station, you hit him. Well, that, that's between you and Steve Wojohowicz. That's not between you and Steve Wojohowicz, judge of McCurtain County. Okay. There's, okay. So, but when it's on, when Judge Wojohowicz is sitting there up on the stand and you're brought in, now that issue is between you and the judge because you've affected these people. You don't uh, have just affected him. Yeah. So he said, this sin is between man and woman and God. So God can deal with this however he wants. He could snap his fingers and make it all gone. Okay. This, he said, Jesus wow. didn't have to be crucified. And then, so for you all people out there, and this is why we did this, this mission. I, um, we have what we call like milk drinkers. St. Paul says like they can only drink milk. They can't eat solid substance. Uh, I, I think we've, and, and Bishop Robert Barron has said, and I'm just going to add to it, that we've left out a lot of theology because we assume that people can't eat this good stuff. We've dumbed down Catholicism. Like, people understand, like, teenage kids, if you ask them about Harry Potter series, they can tell you all about this. If they, you know, the, the different movies and stuff like that, they can tell you all the stuff about it. It's like, we don't expect them to be able to memorize the names of people in the Bible or understand Aquinas. And so... He went into the Summa Theologia, book three, the sum of all theology in three parts, book three, 46, three, and just went through um, suffering of the most suitable means of our salvation. Suffering was the greatest, was the, was the means, most suitable means because of love an example of virtue, meriting justifying grace, refraining from sin, redounds to man's greater dignity for the sake of greater certitude in the resurrection. And he just went boom, 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 right down the list. Now, that was night two. And you have three minutes to tell us about night three. Night three is about the resurrection of Jesus. And he went through and he just... This is, let me, let, and, he, and he worked through the catechism, which was cool, because I was like, I don't know the catechism. And he went through why the importance of the resurrection, uh, like, and the defense against that, because I think there's people out there that don't believe in the resurrection and don't even believe the resurrection is possible. So then he went through the historicity of it um, through the scriptures and even uh, just like like Flavian Josephus, if you've never read, or Cornelius Tactius, we've Our mentioned famous historians. Yeah, we've mentioned actually these people uh, before. Um, what was it? It was like the death of Perogian or something like that. Uh, and, and we have proof of this. We have proof of this both from the scriptures, and we have it from the appearances. I I, I think one of the one of the best ones is like. Um, when the 12 apostles didn't believe. If ever you're writing a book, and I've heard this before countless times, whenever you're writing a book, you tell it like um, how, how your hero saved the day and did nothing wrong. But in the, in, the, in the Gospels, it's countless times it shows up where the 12 apostles were idiots and they didn't believe in the resurrection. Yeah. Or, or on Easter Sunday, the women go to the tomb to anoint a body. It's like, hey, if... 
If the resurrection was true for you, you would have not gone to the tomb. You would have slept in that day. But by saying, we went to the tomb, or we went to the tomb and anointed Jesus' body, it's basically saying these women didn't believe in the resurrection. But also, Peter, James, and John didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, Thomas didn't believe in the resurrection. Um, and so there's all this countless uh, appearances of why it exists in Jewish doctrine, why the Jewish people were waiting for the resurrection too. Uh, like um, the, uh, the Qumran people, the people of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essians, why people theologically and spiritually were waiting for the resurrection. <sighs> and the resurrection's true. Yeah, it is. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm bust out of time. That's amazing. Yeah. What was like the students' reaction? They well, were very happy that it happened? Or they, I mean, did they get it? Uh, I hope so. Okay. And if they didn't get it, I told him, I was like, take one thing home today. Yeah. Or see this as an opportunity to grow in your intellectual life because as you start to study this stuff and see the parallels, see history, see the philosophy, see how it's woven together in the scriptures and the catechism, the church still teaches this, then you become to like, this is as true as gravity. This is more wow. true than evolution. This is why it's, I can't wait for, we can't our, make this stuff for our stained glass windows. At the church at St. Francis Xavier. It's going to be, you know, Old Testament on one side, New Testament on the other. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that stuff is just going to come alive Booyah. For, for people for generations. Yep. Wow. So anyway, if you're out there and you, and like Carlo Broussard is coming to your parish, go. Go see him. Or uh, listen, jump, listen, jump listen or to look him. him up. Yeah, look him up. He has, I think he's written 16 books. He's um, he has very active on podcast. He has a podcast now through the diocese. Oh, does he? I forget what it's called, but anyway, good stuff. Happy Lent. Peace. <laughs>